Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, January 5th. I'm Ezra Wall. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Could It Ever Work?, a measure trying, uh, tying road and bridge improvements to economic growth in the state is in question. That revenue that we're going to be able to, to get, if we get any, maintaining and rebuilding and fortifying bridges and roads is what that money will have to be used for. And then just who's at risk? Mississippi's critically low blood supply has advocates calling for support. And today we're saying goodbye to longtime Host of All Things Considered, Robert Siegel, we'll hear from him in our conversation that's coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Some Mississippi lawmakers are putting their votes behind a bill to fund roads and bridges, but there's no money available yet. Lawmakers in the House passed a measure that ties Mississippi road and bridge improvements to the state's economic growth. House Bill 354 provides up to $100 million to maintain and repair existing infrastructure, but the bill only kicks in when general fund revenues rise above 2%. Republican John Reed of Gaucher chairs the Appropriations Committee in the House. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier how the funds would be allocated. The uh, anything over two percent, up to a hundred million dollars, that'd be fifty million dollars, be put into a special fund. And what you're doing is allowing uh, the state sixty percent, the cities, I mean, the county is twenty-five percent, cities ten. And what you're doing is allowing them to have these special funds, and they can repair uh, whatever they want to do, maintain. The counties are. Part of that would be broke up like the state aid roads and a third, a third, a third, third being based on mileage in the county, uh, population of the county, and also the size of the cities. The cities would be set up to be able to draw block grants of 1.5, up to 1.5 million. Now, um, this is a proactive Will we hit that this year? I don't know, but if we do, we have we have an avenue or a roadmap on how it should be spent. And that's what that does. The second bill we dropped was uh, to remove MDOT out from under the personnel board for uh, a period of time so they could reorganize and restructure, become more flexible. 
We've done this for other agencies. Everybody worries that a ba uh, massive layoffs. No, they don't have the number. Of, they don't have enough people working over there to lay people off. So it's it's just trying to make a more streamlined, give them more flexibility, to work within the money's given them. That's basically what it does. Okay, going back to the infrastructure. What is the likelihood that there's going to be any money even within five years to really deal with well, roads you, and bridges? Well, you do not know until, you know, we just have to look at the, the revenues and, and keep your fingers crossed and hope we get some upticks in the economy. Our economy is, is still lagging. We're, we're, on, we're up about a 1%. So uh, if we can get an uptick, then, uh, and, and this last month we showed pretty good revenues. Uh, let's just hope the next two months uh, we still can, you know, travel on that same vein and that uh, we have a little extra revenue. So, so what do you say to people who say this is not doing anything? Well, uh, you're, like I said, we're being proactive. We don't know what the, what the, what the economy is going to look like. But if you don't put this in place, if we do get an uptick, what are you going to do with the money? So what we're trying to do is have something in place where the money will fall, then people can start utilizing it. That's basically what we're doing. And the Senate would have to go along the with Senate it. would have to go along, and I, there again, that's that's uh, Chairman Clark and I have talked. Uh, he doesn't know if they will pass it or not, but we thought this is something that should be done. One issue has been looking at raising the gas tax, the tobacco tax. I, I don't, I, I, I don't think either one of those will uh, gain momentum. It could, but it, from what I'm hearing, uh, I don't think tax is going. Gain momentum on our end of the bill. Representative John Reed with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Representative Charles Busby chairs the House Transportation Committee. He tells MPB's Mark Rigsby there's widespread support of the uh, new proposals. It was something that was put forward by the body last year that we all, uh, you know, pretty much supported. Uh, it's 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 just codifying really the current practices of MDOT, uh, and really and truly. It's more of a watchdog for the legislature than it is for MDOT because last year we took all the pet projects, the legislative pet projects, out of the appropriations bill for MDOT, and we don't want them going back in. So that's what, uh, that's what, what this bill helps do. What else does this bill help do? Uh, it really just shows that we, it is our intent that we focus available funding on maintaining existing roads and bridges. Uh, the highway program uh, from 1987 built some great highways across the state. But in all honesty, in a lot of those areas, you may go five miles and not see another vehicle. So we want to make sure we have an overbuilt. And that means if we're, we need to maintain those highways before we start building something new, we need to get our level of maintenance up to where those highways are in good condition. What are your thoughts on the bill that came out of the Appropriations Committee today on the House side to focus on this issue? I think it's a great idea, but it's been many, many years since we've experienced growth in excess of 2%. And so I don't know that that is a, a viable solution to our problem. I, I would hope, to goodness, that we would experience growth over 2%. That would be absolutely wonderful. But I don't think uh, our roads and bridges can wait for that trigger to happen. It would appear that what you were saying is that this sends the signal to the state that the legislature is serious about doing something about this problem. 
it sounds like it's more of like a shot across the bow, but not a real direct hit. Well, it's not meant to be a shot across the bow to anybody. It's just meant to say this subject is important to us. I hope it's important enough to us that we'll be willing to tackle the hard issues that uh, bring about real solutions. Will there be more legislation coming out of your committee to focus on this issue? Uh, As far as funding, uh, I have drafted legislation that would uh, address the funding of roads and bridges in our state. However, uh, it is likely that those those bills will be uh, sent to Ways and Means and not to transportation. What are those ideas? Those ideas are to fees, assess fees on electric vehicles, to assess fees on hybrid vehicles, to increase the gas tax and the diesel tax over a period of time, and then to index those so that we wouldn't have to do this again. Do you think we will come to some type of solid conclusion to put a dent uh, in the road and bridge issue by the end of the session? I hope so. I'm going to continue throwing ideas out until we find something that sticks and something that that sets well with everybody. Thank you so much for your time. We do appreciate it. Thank you. Representative Charles Busby with Mark Rigsby. House Democrat Robert Johnson of Natchez says they have to move on uh, the uh, infrastructure problem. He tells MPB's Mark Rigsby he supports taking action. I don't think it really does. I think, as I said in the committee, I think it's a red herring. We don't have a problem with MDOT uh, building new roads or new construction because we don't have the money to build any new roads. What what the the call from MDOT, from the Department of Transportation, from the state of Mississippi, citizens, supervisors, cities, mayors, it's all been about can can we do more to fix the roads that we have. And that that is our calling. That's what we need to do. And it's going to take an additional amount of revenue to be able to do that. And that revenue that that we're going to be able to, to get, if we get any, Maintaining and, 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 and rebuilding and, and fortifying bridges and roads is what that money will have to be used for. The chairman was just telling us that this is a form of a signal to, to be sent to the rest of the state that the legislature is serious about doing something about infrastructure uh, during the session. What more needs to be done, do you think? Well, what more needs to be done, we need to come up with a funding formula that would give us the money we need to fix our roads. That's simply it. That's it. This whole idea of letting people know we're not, getting ready, we're not about to build new roads, that's fine. I think, but I think everybody knows that. Nobody's asking for new roads. What people are asking for is, is, is to fix the ones we have. And so if, we, if, if the leadership feels like we need to tell people that we're not going to build new roads, fine. We've told them. But we still got the major problem we have now is figuring, figuring out a way to, to maintain the ones that we have. You had indicated during the committee meeting that uh, the big road construction projects were in DeSoto, in yeah. Madison County, and in Rankin County, Absolutely. and possibly a, a project that would be in your district uh, might be put on the back burner for, wait, wait, for, wait, for a while. It has. It has. It's the, four lane, the complete four lane of 61. But I wouldn't, I mean, that, that is something that at least they've been looking at and working on. But there are other areas in the state that, that, that need roads. I mean, we don't have the money to, to fix them. But, but I think it's a little bit disingenuous to say we're not, we don't want to do any new construction except the ones that have already gotten started. And we got roads in, in, in the majority counties, Madison, Rankin, and DeSoto counties, that were not part of the statutory plan that have leapfrog roads that should have been built, and they've been done by special, special legislation in order to build new roads in those areas. 
Democratic Representative Robert Johnson with Mark Rigsby, he and others providing reaction to the House passing House Bill 354, $100 million for roads and bridges, potentially. House lawmakers also passed a bond bill to help cities and counties pay for bridge improvements. Coming up, who's at risk? Mississippi's critically low blood supply has advocates calling for support. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The 2018 session has begun, and Governor Phil Bryant will soon deliver his annual State of the State address to a special joint session of the Mississippi Legislature. MPB News will provide live, exclusive, gavel-to-gavel coverage of the governor's speech, as well as the official Democratic response. Don't miss the annual State of the State address Tuesday, January 9th at 4.45 p.m., live on MPB TV, Think Radio, and mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ezra Wall, in for Karen Brown. Shelves at Mississippi Blood Services are empty, and the organization is declaring it a crisis. This after December donations dropped by 25%. It requires 250 to 300 donors every day to meet the needs of patients across the state. Merle Eldridge is Director of Marketing for Mississippi Blood Services. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood the organization was already operating on a shortage. We have several different levels. Um, So whenever we come to the public and tell them that we actually have a shortage, it's because we have less than a one-day supply. Um, When we go to crisis level, which is what we are now, we literally have empty shelves. Um, We've been able to provide the hospitals what they need up until this point, um, but it has been um, a struggle to do so. We've had to reach out to our partners to to help provide blood um, and blood products to the hospitals to make sure that they're able to continue with their treatments and scheduled surgeries. So what is that looking like right now as of today, um, just your partnership with hospitals in the state that depend on the blood supply here? Well, one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that every two seconds someone needs blood and you never know when it's going to be somebody you know or love. And quite often what happens is people wait until something happens to somebody to come in and donate. Um, But what they don't know is that it takes a process to get that blood ready. So the blood that's needed today was actually donated two days ago. Um, So that's why we're really encouraging the donors to come in and donate now because that those are the donors that are helping our hospitals today. Yesterday was a better day than the day before, um, but we still didn't even reach 200 donors yesterday. Um, so the struggle continues, the crisis level continues, um, and it really hasn't gotten any better. As soon as the units are being put on the shelf, they're being tagged to go right back out to hospitals. So to date, we have not had any hospitals that have had to cancel scheduled surgeries, um, but we are struggling to make sure we get them what they need. Now, what kind of donations are the different types of donation? Sure. Um, there's different opportunities for donors to donate. When you come in and you meet with our um, medical staff, they actually with your blood type can kind of direct you um, to what your optimal procedure would be. Um, whole blood donations take from the time you walk in the door until the time you leave about an hour. And the best part of that is only about 15 to 20 minutes of that is actually with the needle. Um, so it's a pretty quick process. Um, one unit of whole blood can um, impact up to three patients. Um, so that is a critical donation that we need. Um, we also have 
red cells, which is double reds, which takes a little bit longer. And that's, um, you're actually going to have replenished some of your fluids. Um, but that gets, that filters out the red cells that can be used in treatment for patients. Last but not least, we have platelet donations. Now, platelets do take a little longer. Um, platelets are used in cancer treatments and burn victims and um, lots of situations along those lines. The critical part about platelets is they have an extremely short shelf life, only a matter of days. Um, so we have to turn those over pretty quickly because of the time it takes to donate. It's also harder to get donors to come in and commit the time to do that. Um, we're the primary service provider to UMMC and to, and to Blairy Batson, so we have a high urgency for the need of platelet donors as well. Merle Eldridge with the Mississippi Blood Services. Thank you so much. Thank you. LaShonda Davenport is the mother of a 10-year-old named DJ who was diagnosed with sickle cell disease at birth. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood he's dependent on blood transfusions every month. Um, DJ, he receives blood transfusions every five weeks, so we go to the clinic and we hope that there's a compatible match and that he's able to receive a blood transfusion. So he has had a transfusion before? Yeah, DJ started having blood transfusions probably around the age of five. And a couple of years ago, he's been scheduled monthly. He has to have blood transfusions. And reason being, um, with sickle cell, there are quite a few complications. And one is having a high risk of having a, um, having a stroke. And that's the reason for the blood transfusions and trying to prevent that. Um, also, with the blood transfusion, sometimes it helps to eliminate the pain crises that would um, that tend to happen. Right now, we're in very, very cold temperature time. And with the cold temps, the elements outside, those really will trigger a pain crisis. Right now, you'll have quite a few um, patients that have sickle cell going in and out of the hospital because of the weather and blood transfusion. That's going to be one of the key factors, you know, to help them, help them get over um, what they're going through. So we're really, you know, we depend on those blood transfusions right now, especially during this time of the year. Thank you so much, LaShonda Davenport, for your time. You're welcome. More information about donating blood is on Mississippi Blood Services' website. That's msblood.com. Coming up, a conversation with NPR's Robert Siegel on this, his last day on the air. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A new book asks if the high priest of psychedelic drugs, Timothy Leary, was really the most dangerous man in America, as President Nixon claimed. We need to find a villain, a guy in a black hat, and why not choose Timothy Leary? I'm Ari Shapiro. That story and you're not tripping. Robert Siegel turns off his microphone for the last time this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ezra Wall. Today's the last day for Robert Siegel for, uh, to, to serve as the co-host of All Things Considered on NPR. His storied journalism career spans four decades, including 30 years as the host of ATC. His colleagues know him as an extraordinary reporter and even better broadcaster as he operates on a quest for the answers that have benefited millions of listeners over the years. 
Siegel has spent his life in radio, getting his start as a freshman in college. At NPR, he's been a newscaster, editor, chief of news, among other positions. He reported on the 2015 Paris attacks, the 2008 earthquake in China, the September 11th attack on New York and Washington in 2001. He tells MPB's Karen Brown about getting through some of the most difficult news the country has faced. I was put on the air many times, so people said I sounded good on the air. But when I hear tapes, I can't imagine what they had in mind because it's it's terrifying how how awful it sounds to me. How well do you remember your start at NPR? It's been 40 years. I remember it pretty well. I came here in December of 1976. Uh, Washington was waiting for a new kind of president. Uh, We were in transition, and Jimmy Carter was about to take office. The NPR was full of young people. Uh, I was... Not yet thirty, and uh, I seem to be about the typical age of people who who uh, worked here. The old building—it was two buildings ago—had the most beautiful radio stations I'd ever seen, the, or the most beautiful radio studios uh, that I'd ever seen, uh, and um, and people were very idealistic about this this thing they were building, this this new radio network. Personally, I thought that I had come here for about two years so I could work my way back. I'm a New Yorker, so I could work my way back to a real city, i.e. New York, uh, and uh, resume real life. Uh, but uh, the place was very seductive, and uh, the opportunities were great, and and work was a pleasure, and some of my colleagues were the most creative, energetic people I'd ever met. And uh, I was uh, seduced and suckered into staying here all these years. You worked at NPR for 10 years before you hosted uh, All Things Considered, took that hosting seat. You had yeah. various jobs in the 10 years so once you sat down in that chair, for all things considered, did you feel at home? Did you know you'd spend the the rest of your working career in that hosting seat? <laughs> I did not. I did not know that I would spend the rest. I didn't know that it was a thirty year hitch uh, that I had that I had signed on to, and and there was never any any such. I mean, it was if that was what uh, nineteen eighty seven. It was uh, over ten years before the word contract was ever mentioned. So uh, so I had no. No idea how how long I was doing it. Um, I did feel I, I I had transitioned from running NPR News to hosting the program, from management to being back on the air where I felt more comfortable. And in that sense, I felt like I had ascended to radio heaven. Uh, that um, I had this this wonderful job, uh, being on the radio, having these uh, very talented uh, producers and uh, editors and engineers who. Uh, were part of this team that I was, you know, I I was one of the, you know, one of the star players on, and uh, I didn't have to evaluate people's performance, hire them, fire them, discipline them for stupid behavior, uh, you know, all of that was, um, you know, was in my past. So, I was the happiest guy on earth when I started hosting this program. You certainly covered major events, you know, triumphs and tra- tragedies altogether. Especially because you were in New York on 9-11. Have your emotions ever gotten the best of you while on the air? What I had felt in college when I anchored big protests at Columbia University, which was uh, things are now chaotic. Uh, Things are scary. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen next. We've lost our sense of order and and of uh, safety, and I have a job to do. And so I'm really fortunate because... um, if I didn't have a job to do, I'd just sit around thinking, you know, what's going to happen? This is terrible. But instead, my job is to go out and report and talk to people and then get on the radio and try to 
sort out what's happened uh, for people. And um, it's what made me want to do this professionally. And uh, it came back to me again on on 9-11, which is, uh, boy, am I lucky. Uh, At moments like this, I have a useful role to play. Uh, and uh, and if I if I play it right, I'm I'm uh, I'm making this day a little bit less. So no, it didn't it didn't overwhelm me. It because of what of what we do and because of what I do, I had a way of of acting uh, on my concerns that to me was satisfying, and I hope to others was useful. As you head into retirement, do you think you'll listen to All Things Considered or any yes, other programs on yeah. NPR? Yes, uh, I'll, I'll I'll be listening. Uh, I'm a curious American, and I I read a paper, and I I want to hear what's going on, so I'll listen to NPR. Audie Cornish expects me to send her notes and telling her what she should do. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to be I'm not going to nose into her into her life. And uh, uh, she and Ari and Mary Louise Kelly are great at what they do, and uh, they won't need a lot of backseat driving from me. Well, we certainly appreciate all the years. For some of us, it has been 30 years of listening to you on All Things Considered (laughs) without giving my age away but (laughs) or others. Thank you for a career well-lived, certainly, and congratulations on your retirement. I hope it's enjoyable and fulfilling for you. Thank you very much, Karen. And 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 I'd just like to thank not only you and, and the people at the radio station, but also to all of our listeners in in Mississippi who, uh, by supporting you, also support us at the national level. It's a, it's a unique system, and uh, it works thanks to people. So thanks to all of you. Robert Siegel, thank you. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, it's the Gestalt Gardener, and then catch us again Monday morning for another Mississippi edition here on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org.